morning. We are looking at uh, a very strange psalm. It makes a bizarre shift in tone about halfway through. Uh, but without unpacking it too far before we get into it, let's, let's read through it together. Uh, ladies, you're ladies. Men, you're men. You, you know how this works now, right? I don't know. I'm, that's the last time I'll explain this. You'll keep up. All right. To you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant, the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till He has mercy upon us. Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. Did you catch the change in tone there? Oh God, we look to you. We look to you. Man, it stinks to get mistreated. What is going on in this one? There's another one of these songs that I think they sang in the evenings. And as the kids are settling down, maybe starting to yawn, gathering around the fire that they cooked over a short time ago, in the, in the wastes between the towns, not in a safe bed, but in a tent maybe, or maybe out under the stars. And as they make this journey so that they can worship, The worship's beginning long before they get to the place where the name of the Lord our God rests. And God has given them these songs and they sing these songs, these songs that are prayers that are meant to train them and prep them and prepare them to step into the presence of God. Because that's what they're doing. They go to Jerusalem so that they can be near the temple, near the house of the Lord, near the place where the Lord God is. And they want to draw near to God. And God has given them a tangible location so that their minds and their souls can journey towards them. In this song, we get in some ways what is the first step that is really a journey. Because anytime you take a journey into the heart of God, you're going to take a journey into the heart of your own. The very first one, the very first psalm, they, they do an assessment. And they come to terms with the fact that they need to make a journey. They have been too long in the world around them. Too much the value system is influencing them. They need to, to get out of those who want peace. and I mean, want war when they want peace. They need to make that journey. And then in the next one, surrounded by the threatening hills, they pray to God, You are the one who can save us. You are the one who can protect us. You are our help. You, I look to the hills. Where's my help come from? It comes from the Maker of heaven and earth. I'm okay. In the next psalm, they look at where they're going. What is the destination? What's the journey's end? It's Jerusalem. A place of community built by God. And I must commit myself to the good of the community that is built by God. And if anybody can pray that, you and I can. Because we have a community not made of stones, but made of people. And not purchased by the will of people, but bought by the blood of the Lord our God. And so we must commit ourselves to this. But in this psalm, we run into the real difficulty that we're going to have if we're really going to walk into God's heart. We must also walk into our own. 
And if we're going to walk into our own, I mean, this is the nature of the life of the disciple. It is not a three times a year walk. It is a walk with Jesus Christ in discipleship. Confronting those things about ourselves that are broken. On this journey, we come to terms with the fact that you and I are in fact broken quite badly. And left to ourselves, we are a mess. Because how do you act when someone mistreats you? Well, if you're like me, you nurse that thing, right? You've got a collection of your wounds, don't you? Somebody speaks badly to you, and for a week, you stew on it. can't believe they said that. And that's if they speak badly to you. The Lord our God sent Jesus Christ to demonstrate love while taking mortal wounds. But we fight with... There's something wrong with our operating system. And not only is it something wrong with... Like if it were a computer, our operating system is messed up. We're networked. We are social animals. And there's something wrong with the network too. So it's not like I could just deal with the virus on my own hard drive and get that right and I'll be fine. No, because you keep reinfecting me. And I keep reinfecting you. And as I make this journey, we come to, to face-to-face, well, <laughs> what Jesus will bring us face-to-face with. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you might be like God so that you might be the children of God, sons of your Father who is in heaven. He's good to everybody without exception. You know, when I look at my own heart and I see the trouble, and then I look at Jesus. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He didn't just teach that. He did that. While dying, He did that. You know, and, And you don't get a much greater challenge than a nail in your wrist, do you? And yet, he's praying, Father, forgive them. They don't understand this. They don't know what we're about. They don't know what they're about. They don't know what they're doing. And yet, say something mean to me. Or hold a grudge against me. Be mad at me. And I will walk in a difficult place with you. And you will with me. And so Jesus has called us to to confront our own broken hearts. This psalm does exactly the same thing. It is the prayer of the disciple who wants to become like Jesus, sung way before he got here. The people longing to be what they're supposed to be come face to face with this reality. Our soul has had more than enough of contempt. You know, it's hard when you're treated with contempt. Have you ever been in in a relationship with somebody who treated you contemptuously? You are less than. You don't matter. There are bosses who manage through contempt. They don't do a very good job. You don't get much out of your people when you manage through contempt. But they're they're out there. And you've been abused and missed. You ever been there? There are elders in the Lord's church who reign through contempt. You ever met one of them? I knew a guy who, who, one of his, he would teach this publicly. (laughs) He would say, you know, it says in the Bible that 
the elders are shepherds and that the people are sheep. Sheep are dumb, stupid animals. And the shepherd doesn't ask the opinion of the sheep. He makes sure they're getting fed and watered. But he doesn't care what they think. He's smarter than they are. That's why he's the shepherd. (laughs) His leadership didn't go all that well, by the way. When you get treated with contempt, what do you want to do? Yeah, you want to get back. You want to remember that you, and you want them to remember that you, after all, are the main character here. They are a supporting character, and they are playing their role wrongly. Because we, nobody wants to be treated. Don't you realize I'm the image of God? Which incidentally is accurate. No one should ever be treated with contempt. It is wrong to treat others with contempt. I am not endorsing a contempt position by anybody. But it is also wrong to respond to evil with evil. But how do we do it? What do we do? The reality is, this is among the most challenging things that discipleship calls for. A good response to evil. It is the center of what Jesus calls us to. Loving your enemies. Loving. If you can love your enemies, then you can love everybody. And Jesus says the central call of God, the most important commandment, is love God, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the whole of Christian ethics. So if I can love my enemy, I can love anybody. But how on earth do I do that? Because it's not in flesh to do it. On our own, what do we do with our enemies? We hate our enemies. Duh! They are our enemies. As the bumper sticker says, love your enemies, you made them. But inasmuch as enemy is is existent for the disciple, it really ought to be entirely on the other person's side. If they have trouble with you, fine. But you are called to more than that. You are following Jesus Christ. And so no matter what someone else's behavior is, you're called to do better. Well, how do we do it? You won't do it on your own. Christianity is not a do-it-yourself project. It's not about knowing the right things. Don't you you knew the right things every single time you ate a Snickers bar. You knew that was not a good idea, right? You did it anyway. You can know the right thing to do and still not do it. Anybody who struggles with pornography will tell you, I know that's bad. I don't want that in my life. And yet it pulls them back again. Why? Because ought to isn't enough. Human willpower isn't stronger than sin. So if you're going to overcome this, you're going to do it by the power of God, the Holy Spirit at work within you, or you will not do it at all. So what does this prayer do for us? Well, it calls us to two realities. One is that we have got to be in the right place with God. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, then we must align our hearts correctly with God. A heart that is out of line with God, God may still benefit. He may still, because He's really good. But you interrupt, you produce static and problem and pain 
if you don't line up well with God. And then the other is you must prepare for the failures of other people and know what to do with those failures. You have to be ready for it because they're going to let you down. Everyone does, including you. You are part of the people for somebody else. And you've got to be ready for it. So what do we do? Well, let's, let's look at what he prays about. Let's, let's look first at the reality of what we do with God. In order to walk well with God, the human heart has to step into humility. And humility is one of those tricky things. Because ultimately, what humility leads you to is self-forgetfulness. So the moment you start thinking about humility, you've already lost the game. You know, because you're already thinking about yourself. But Jesus' call to self-denial is a call to stop depending upon the self for the good life and get it out of the way. Because the self is prideful. That's the central nature of human life. We want to be our own God. We want to be smart. We, want to, we know good and evil now. I mean, even God Himself assessed us and says He's become like one of us. Knowing good from evil. We know that. We're just terrible at using it. We make awful gods. Very self-focused gods. So what do I do to the self? This prayer is one of self-humiliation. Very purposefully attacking the self. In the way that Jesus will with the cross, this prayer does through song. Okay? So he says, Behold, as the eyes of the servant look to their master, as the eyes of the maidservant look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. What's, what's that about? Well, people who can afford to make this are probably not many of them servants. People making this journey, they're doing all right. You know, and so they're making this journey. And any man singing that second set of lines, and I broke it up when we read it together so that the men said the man part and the woman said the woman part just because of that. Oh, that's kind of clever. But in all likelihood, the men sang all that. And in an ancient world, that's embarrassing. Twelve-year-old boys would have hated this song. Like, I don't want to sing that one. Come on, I don't want to sing about being a maidservant. I don't want to be like that. Because the self doesn't want to. What this is doing is it's intentionally singing to put myself into a place where myself steps down. And I remember, you are God and I am not. It's a good thing we don't have any problem with that forgetfulness. You know, if you look at our culture around us, our culture is quite convinced that that we are so much smarter than God. One great experience, uh, example of this, I'm a little sorry there are kids in the room, kids, color your colorings for a second. But one of the great things about this is romance and sexuality that we've been witnessing in our world just recently and the absolute breakdown that's happening in our culture with the Me Too movement. Guys, folks, I am thrilled about the Me Too movement. I really am, because it is a call. Do you know about that? There, there was this social media hashtag for a while that, that it, it, my Facebook feed filled up with friends, women, who just put hashtag me too. And what that meant was, I also have been mistreated by a man. I also have been treated like a piece of meat. 
And, and that me too might go anything from an inappropriate comment, an inappropriate look, all the way to inappropriate touching or even rape. And uh, I am thrilled that that's happening because it's, it's calling to our absolute libertine culture and reminding us that God is right. Sex can hurt if it isn't where it belongs. It belongs between a man and a woman in a covenant relationship. Nowhere else. And anywhere else, it changes from a beautiful good to a destructive force that hurts. But, and and the, the crazy thing is, is that our culture right now is just savaging all these men for behaving exactly the way our culture said it's supposed to. Oh, now, wait a minute. Our culture says anything that goes on between consenting adults, the the phrase consenting adults is stupid. People consent to all kinds of self-destructive and pernicious things. Ask any counselor, and they'll tell you about the behavior of people in their marriage that is just horrifying. Oh, but they're consenting. I can consent to cut off my fingers. It doesn't make it smart. But our culture has decided, now that's, that's, the, that's the test right there. Consenting adults. Wrong? No. And it's destructive. And look what it's led to. We want now to start calling people back to some sort of moral postures when we have no moral ground. Our culture has decided that it's smarter than God. Any time that you decide you are smarter than God, you have a problem. The heart that would pass judgment on God and His ways, the way our culture does about this, and a host of other things. I could have used so many examples. Like economics. Like like greed. Like, I could have gone on and on. Like vengeance. Oh, our culture loves vengeance. Look up vengeance movies. There's a ton of them. Batman is a hero. Why? Vengeance. I mean, you don't find anybody who's a self-giving superhero. doesn't show up. Our culture is wrong. And we swim in it. We live in it. And we're tempted to go to the same places that our culture does in assessment of God. So the prayer says, I'm a servant, not a master. I'm not in charge here. And the truth is, you will not deal well with enemies or any of the other discipleship calls of Christ if you aren't in the right place with God. Because it's God who builds us. It's God who protects. God who saves. God who redeems. God who remakes. Not you. You don't have it in you to just, well, I'll take the teachings of Jesus and I'll do it. No, you won't. Good luck with that. You will shipwreck your soul. You must have God's help, period. And so we come in this psalm in the very beginning to pray, God, I have to look to You. And You're the Master, and I'm the servant, and You tell me what to do, because I don't know. Show me what Your will is in Your house, and I will do it. But I don't know without You to guide me. If I look to my own way, I'll make a mess of things. Help me out. 
The end of all that is until He has mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Oh Lord, have mercy on us. Why this cry for mercy just before we start dealing with contempt? Well, you need the mercy of God if you're going to do well with the failures of others. Because the mercy of God leads you first to your own failures. And it's strange how coming to, to, to terms with the facts of our own flawed nature strips us of being nasty to others. We remember, I have no ground to mistreat you. Yeah, you mistreated me, but I also am a mess. But, but for the mercy of God, I am damned. I will go to hell if He does not save me. So I cry out to God's mercy, and as I inhabit God's mercy, I find myself wanting to do something else with all that contempt from what I would want to do if I weren't inhabiting God's mercy. If I weren't resting with God, going, God, You are above me, I am beneath You. And I will not judge you. You judge me if anybody's doing judging here. And I, I will not argue with you. Tell me what to do. When you find yourself there, you go, whoa, I need mercy. Because as I'm doing that, I bring all the mess of who I am into the presence of God. And when my prideful rage encounters His steadfast love, you see, the thing is, I get upset when someone mistreats me. What does God do? God wants to save His enemies. While we were yet Christ's enemies, He died for us. So God's approach to the breakdown of relationship is very, very, very different from ours. He is filled with steadfast love. Oh, what about His wrath? But if you read Romans, His wrath is permissive. It's not hateful. If you absolutely don't want anything to do with God, He'll let you go that way. He will. But it's not His desire for you. His response to everyone is steadfast love. And when I stand and compare myself to my Master, when I see myself in contrast with my God, I become, it becomes very clear. I need mercy. And in that mercy, suddenly I know what to do with contempt and I'm ready to pray about it. But that doesn't make it easy, does it? I note the words when he talks about it, the psalmist when he writes about this. We've had more than enough. I'm fed up. I'm exhausted and I'm weary and I'm broken. The mistreatment that's come to me, <sighs> the people singing this are not at ease. They are not sleeping on a couch or a bed. They are sleeping in the wilderness. And they're looking at the non-religious folks about them not making this trip. Maybe making fun of them. You know, any non-Jew is going to mock somebody making a pilgrimage like this. We're sick of that. We're so tired of being treated badly. It doesn't sound very pretty. In fact, it almost sounds like they're not doing a very good job with it. Pouring out to God, I am really just weary of that. I'm mad and grumpy and grouchy. It almost sounds like the two parts don't fit. 
In the one hand, the person is doing so well, settling themselves into the heart of God. And in the other, yuck, what's going on here? Well, note that it would make sense for us to respond with bleh when someone goes bleh to us. No one ever blames you for hating your enemy. They hated you first. You ask any, any six-year-old kid, you know, what, when someone smacks you in the face, what are you supposed to do with that? You hit them back. You know, you roll around in the dust for a while, or maybe you go get a stick. Human nature knows how you're supposed to respond to bad treatment. And any time that you go and you say, Hey, you know what they said about me? You say that to a friend, you're going to get a sympathetic ear going, Oh, I can't believe that. No, they didn't. I can't. You, are, you don't have to put up with that. You, you give them what for. You know what? Here's what we do. Let's, and then they'll sit down and plot with you just like a six-year-old. We know what to do with bad treatment as fallen sinful people. But the call of discipleship is to something better. So what is this doing in the psalm? How does that help me do that? Christ has called me to something better than hate. How do I get there and how does the psalm get me here? Well, this psalm encourages you to pray honestly about your feelings rather than act otherwise on them. Your way out of the evil of fallenness is God. It's prayer. This is the escape hatch. You tell God seriously. You tell Him about your pain. You tell Him what they said. Because unlike every fallen friend you've got, God won't go, oh no, let's get him. God will say, come here my child. I can take that. Give it to me. Let me have it. My cross will absorb that and protect you from it. So you pray about the contempt and you release the contempt into the hands of God. Set yourself into His presence. Look up to Him like a, like a servant to a master, like a maidservant to her mistress. Let her and, and tell Him about it. Pour it out and be free. Be free. Don't carry it anymore. Well, I've still got it. Then you're not done praying. If you must spend days in prayer to find healing, then spend days in prayer. Walk with Him as long as you need to and you pour out everything that's done to you. Not to nurse it, but to release it. And you will not be broken by it. You act on that junk, you'll become just as bad as them. If not worse, you know better. You're walking with God. God says this is the appropriate action when you're wounded. Come to Me. Set yourself into a place of humility and remember My mercy. And suddenly, wanting to nurse the contempt goes away. 
If you remember that there, but for the grace of God, you would be the same, then suddenly you can't go, I can't believe it. Your pride will be reduced. When you remember who God is and who you are in that place, you'll come down and you'll be able to step away from your hate, step away from your pride, step away from all the things that are keeping you trapped. And then you're safe to pray and remember your mistreatment in a place where you'll want to release it. That prayer is brilliant, isn't it? It's almost like the author had help. It's almost like we do. Because if we are going to make it into discipleship, we're not going to do it alone. If we're going to go on this journey, it's going to be only by the help of God. So pray that you might be like your Father who loves everyone. He sends the Son on everyone righteous and unrighteous, and the rain on the wicked and the just. So you too can be. And the contempt of this world does not have to make you otherwise. It's God who will hold you to Himself. Let's pray together. To you, I lift up my eyes. Oh, and you know what? I'm sorry. I have one more word in my sermon before, I, before we start. Because I forgot, this is the very first word of the psalm. And this is the thing that makes all of the rest of it make sense. All the rest of it makes sense because God is God. That's why you can do this. Look, if there's not a God in the heavens, when your enemy treats you with contempt, what do you need to do? You must get even. Because if you're the only one who can establish your good, you can't afford to lose. You can't afford to can't afford to. But if there is someone sitting on a throne, then you absolutely can. God's way makes sense because there's a God in heaven and He sits on a throne, which means that one day He will judge. He will judge you and He will judge those who mistreated you. And if you are like Him, you hope they get off. You pray for for God to have mercy on them who treated you with contempt. But if they don't, it is God who will take care of it. You don't have to. You don't need to avenge yourself. It is God's to repay. He sits on the throne. He is capable of judging. You don't have to work for Him. You just have to serve Him as He's called you to, which is through the love of your enemies. As I said, let's let's pray our way through this psalm again. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till He has mercy upon us. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Amen. How's your walk going? Good. Glad to hear that. It's not an easy walk we're doing though, is it? This pilgrimage into God's heart is difficult because His heart and mine, they're different. How are you doing? You got anybody that you're filled up with hate for? 
You got anybody that you're broken over? Then you know a tool now. Use it. Your hope is the Lord your God. Your freedom is found in Him. Your ability to practice discipleship is in Jesus Christ. And if you're blowing it, well, you're in good company. Peter blew it. All of them ran away. It's okay. Just come back. And if you look into your heart and your life and there's something going on it has nothing to do with any of this that we've talked about, that's fine. We want to pray for you. If this morning you're subject to God's invitation, there's room here. Why don't you come while we stand and sing? Amen.